0: If you're interested in listening ad free, go to patreon.com slash the SCP Experience. There you can enjoy my ad free podcast and never have to listen to ads again. That's patreon.com slash the SCP Experience. Now, time for the story. The sunset is turning the sky a brilliant orange pink as our helicopter touches down on the hospital's helipad. I'm the first out of the little bird helicopter the rotor wash, whipping at my clothes, as I trot to the edge of the helipad and kneel down. I hold my Beretta PMX submachine gun lightly as the rest of my squad exits the aircraft. We're all wearing light tactical gear that includes vests, but not helmets. Our vests all have a patch on the back that says animal control. It's as close to the truth as the foundation is likely to give people. It's technically true, what we're hunting is certainly not human, but the briefing I received on the creature tells me it's not like any animal I've ever seen. There are six of us total, and we'll be splitting into three teams of two. The other two teams head into the hospital without a word as Ferrar kneels next to me. Behind us, the helicopter lifts off and flies away, taking the rotor wash and the noise with it. As the roar of the helicopter fades, it's replaced by city sounds as Farrar and I look at the sunset, waiting for the other two teams to head off into the city before we start our search. You think we'll find it? I ask. Probably. It's just a matter of knowing where to look, where it's likely to feed, Farrar says. So you've dealt with these things before? Ferrar nods. I was on the team that captured the last one. You lose anyone during the mission? Nope, Farrar says. But that one we caught in a small town in West Texas. This one has a whole city of choices. Could be a lot more difficult. They've been hunting this thing all day, right? And they couldn't catch it? Farrar smiles. They only bring us in when they can't handle their shit, he says. Besides, something happens to these things in the sunlight. They're essentially invisible during the day. And they tend to stay in the sky, flying around, constantly on the move. The only way they can track them during the day is by locating their heat signature. And they were closing in on the thing when it suddenly disappeared. The last sighting was about two clicks that way. Ferrar points east, toward the buildings of the small downtown area and the darkening sky beyond. So what's the plan? I ask. I've been with the foundation for a year and I'm still not used to the lack of information on missions. It's even worse than the army was. Compartmentalization, they call it. I call it a good way to get us grunts killed. We look for homeless people. Those are its most likely targets. We're tapped into the emergency response system. If a call comes through about a four foot freaky flying thing, or anything that sounds like it, we double time it over there. I nod, sounds simple enough, but I don't like the fact that we'll probably be too late to stop the thing before it kills someone. All right, Shadrock. Farrar says. Let's go. We trek down through the hospital, ignoring the looks we get from patients and staff. The helipad was the best place to land the helicopter. Landing it anywhere else would have drawn too much attention. Plus, we have vehicles waiting for us in the hospital's parking garage, put there by Foundation Connections, not even 20 minutes ago. We find the black Jeep exactly where they said it would be. I jump in the driver's seat and fire it up. Two minutes later, We're on the quickly darkening streets, driving toward our sector of the city, waiting for a call to come through on our radios. Left here, Farrar says, looking up from the small laminated map in his hand. There's a place where homeless people hang out up ahead. Sure enough, we come upon a highway underpass below which is a miniature tent city. I pull over to the side of the road, leaving enough room between us and the underpass so we can see both the sky and the homeless camp. I turn off the engine. Now, we wait. Farrar checks in with the other two teams for any news while I alternate scanning the sky and the tent city. On the shared channel, I hear the two teams report back that they haven't seen anything. No one has seen anything yet, Farrar says, after a few minutes of talking to HQ on the radio. They have drones circling the city, looking for the thing with infrared and low light cameras. Just a matter of time. We sit for another 10 minutes before a call comes through. A woman reported seeing a giant bat landing on her neighbor's roof at 241 South Kings Court Road. HQ says over the shared channel. That's in our sector, Farrar says, quickly pulling the address up on the Jeep's GPS system. Fire it up. I pull away from the curb, zooming down the road and taking a right at the next street following the GPS. It takes us less than five minutes to find the place. We screech to a halt and are out of the vehicle with our weapons ready and trained on the house. Broken window, I say, gesturing at the top right window of the two-story home. This is it, Ferrar says. Cover the window while I find a way in. I stay back, ready to fire if the thing comes out of the window. Ferrar tries the front door of the white and blue house, but it's locked. He tries the front windows, both locked. He heads around back while I keep my sights on the broken window. After about a minute, the front door opens and Farrar is there, gesturing for me to come in. We move through the house quietly, clearing the first floor. There are a few lights on, but we don't see anyone or anything. I follow Farrar up the stairs and we clear the rooms as we come to them. The one with the broken window is the last one we come to. The door is closed. Farrar steps up next to the door, is back to the wall, and reaches out to grip the doorknob He nods at me. I nod back. He opens the door quickly and steps back, so I have a clear line of sight. All I see is a dresser and a closet from where I am. I step into the room and turn left and see a bed there. The sight on the bed nearly freezes me in my tracks. There's a man lying on his back. His eyes are open, but there's a big ragged hole in his neck, as if a spike had been jammed there and then removed after he was dead. Positioned over this dead man, is an SCP-631 specimen. It's just over four feet long and has a shell-like body similar to a lobster, but without the segmented tail. It does have a tail, but it looks more like a cross between a lizard's and a scorpion's. It's long and ends in a savage stinger, about the right size to match the hole in the man's neck. Its legs look more like a crab than a lobster's, segmented and spider-like. It doesn't have pincers like a crab, instead, It has mandibles with little spikes at the end, almost like sharp fingers. Above its mandibles are beady black eyes on small stalks. I can see its leathery wings folded up against its body. The thing doesn't seem to notice me as I stand there, half frozen with shock. It's paying more attention to the dead man whose abdomen has been sliced open, the skin peeled back. The creature reaches down into the man's chest cavity with its mandibles and pulls out what looks like his liver. It jams the bloody organ into its mouth, which is a moist and hairy black hole situated between its mandibles. Revulsion and anger flow through me, and I snap out of my shocked state. My finger goes to pull the trigger, but Ferrar stops me before I shoot the thing. Don't, he says in a whisper. Just wait. What? Wait for what? Just wait, dammit. That's an order. This thing's about to die when it's done. We can just sit back and watch it. I want to argue. I want to tell Ferrar to go to hell. The sight of this creature puts me on edge. It's just wrong. It shouldn't exist, and I want to be the one to kill it. But ignoring an order is something I just can't do. The chain of command is the only thing holding the world together. So I step back, but keep my gun raised and ready, just in case. The creature doesn't seem to know we're here. It continues to eat the man's organs, which takes several minutes. It's a truly disgusting sight, and the sound that it makes, the sounds of it tearing the wet and slimy organs out of this poor man's body, are enough to make me want to throw up. When all the man's internal organs have been eaten, the creature turns around on its six-segmented legs and begins to defecate in the man's chest cavity. At least, I think it's defecating at first, but I realize that the gray globular forms that it's pushing out are eggs. It's laying eggs in the man, I turn to Ferrar. What the fuck are we doing here, sir? We're letting it lay eggs? Ferrar looks from the creature to me and back again. He seems to come to some kind of decision. He grabs me by the arm and brings me out of the room back into the hallway. Listen, he says, they had one of these at the foundation, but it died recently, so they need another one. So what we're going to do is let these eggs hatch, which takes about an hour, and then kill all but one. That one will take back with us. Mission accomplished, job well done, got it? Christ, I say. I thought we were supposed to kill it. That thing shouldn't exist, none of them should. If we couldn't capture it, we would kill it, sure. But this is better, this is the main objective. And I don't give a shit if you like it or not. You do what I tell you, got it? I shake my head. This is fucked up. Yeah, 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 this is the job. Did they let that thing get away earlier, I ask. Did they want this to happen? For the thing to lay eggs like this? Farrar looks at me, his eyes betraying nothing, but he doesn't deny it. After a moment, he pushed past me, heading back into the room. I follow him, resigned to my duty. Once the creature is finished laying the eggs, it crawls down off the bed and collapses onto the floor. Almost immediately, it begins to melt. It's like watching a body decompose in fast motion. Not even 10 minutes pass before the thing is just a puddle of thick, discolored, foul-smelling liquid. There's a cage in the back of the Jeep, Farrar tells me. Go get it and bring it back up here. I walk outside and grab the small metal cage from the back of the Jeep. I'm heading back in when a red sedan pulls up into the driveway. Oh shit, I say to myself. A brunette woman in her late 30s jumps out of the car, confusion and concern written all over her face. What's going on? she asks what happened who are you i put down the cage and raise my hands patting the air to get her to slow down ma'am i'm going to need you to stay out here until we've resolved the situation inside we're with animal control we're dealing with an animal in your home an animal what animal where's my husband she's quickly closed the distance between us heading for the front door ma'am you can't go in there i say grabbing her by the shoulders it's for your safety please Wait until we're done. Where's my husband? She says, panic building in her voice. Her eyes dart up to the broken window. Where is he? I'm backpedaling, trying to keep her from going in the house, but she's pushing me back. I'm trying to be gentle with her. I don't want to have to hurt her, but as she's pushing me back, my foot catches on the side of the concrete walkway leading up to the house. I fall backward, and the woman uses the opportunity to rush into her house. Ma'am, I call out. Stop now. I get back to my feet and run into the house, seeing that the woman is already halfway up the stairs. I catch up to her as she's turning the corner to head down the hallway to the bedroom. I grab her and pin her against the wall. Damn it, woman! The front of her head bursts, spraying blood and bone all over my face, neck, and the front of my vest. Her body crumples down to the floor. What? I say, looking over to see Farrar standing in the bedroom doorway, his submachine gun up against his shoulder. You shot her. Why? That's the job he says, as if that explains it all. Now go get the cage. These things are going to hatch soon. I need your help to kill all but one. I look back down at the woman whose forehead is missing, blown apart by a high velocity round. This is the job? I whisper. I retrieve the cage and then head back to the bedroom. The eggs hatch and the miniature SCP-631 creatures immediately begin consuming the rest of the man's body. Farrar and I use our knives to kill all but one of them. That one, we let eat its fill before we cage it up. It seems they're fairly harmless when they're young. We call in a cleanup team as we leave. They'll deal with the mess inside. As we pull away from the house, I can still taste the woman's blood on my lips. I haven't had a chance to clean it off my face. This is the job, I whisper. What did you say? Farrar asks. Nothing, I didn't say anything. SCP-631 is a species of a large predatory organism with a vaguely crustacean appearance. They have wings and a reptilian tail terminating in a venomous stinger. This tail also contains the majority of the organism's reproductive systems. Instances of SCP-631 are rendered imperceptible in the visual spectrum when exposed to sunlight. The mechanism for this remains unidentified. They do not sleep and remain active at night to reproduce The creature will locate the nearest isolated sleeping human and impale the victim's throat with its stinger, thus preventing any vocal reaction. Following the injection of its paralytic venom, SCP-631 will remain in this position for two to three minutes while the victim expires. Then, it will quickly consume the victim's internal organs, replacing them with fertilized eggs. 10 to 15 minutes following the reproductive act, the original instance of SCP-631 will expire, its body, putrefying rapidly. The eggs require approximately one hour to hatch, at which point the newborn SCP-631 will consume the remainder of the victim's body. After their post-birth feeding, the instances will retreat to secluded locations and begin their growth period.